Hi, I'm Whitney Walker, and this is the Women Waken podcast, where I interview guests who are in the field of healing and spiritual work using their unique gifts of the divine feminine. We talk all about these amazing gifts that these particular guests have and how they're bringing them forth in the world. On this episode, I welcome my phenomenal friend, the incomparable Laura Lee Rourke. Laura Lee is an expert on eating disorders and body image disturbances. She is also a dedicated advocate for healing and self-discovery. Laura Lee has worked in the field of eating disorders since 1985, and she's the co-founder of the nonprofit organization Beyond Hunger. She is also a certified clinical hypnotherapist and has co-written two books on the subject of eating disorders titled It's Not About Food and Over It. And she started the It's Not About Food podcast, which is such a fabulous resource for anyone who's looking for insight, guidance, and understanding around the topic of eating disorders and body image issues. She is a funny, brave, incredible woman, and I'm so grateful to have her as a friend and as a guest on the show. So take a listen, enjoy, and here's my guest. Hello, Laura Lee, and welcome to the Women Waken podcast. Thank you. (laughs) So wonderful to have you here. Laura Lee, you and I met through Janice Brennis, who is the uh, director of the EDRC in Campbell, the Eating Disorder Resource Center, which is an amazing resource to our community for those struggling with any form of an eating disorder. I volunteer there every other week, leading their support groups at 7 p.m. And Janice just knew after her and I had been working for a while that you and I needed to meet. (laughs) And she was right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I had the privilege of being on your podcast, which is It's Not About Food, which is an absolutely brilliant podcast based in the concepts and discussion around eating disorders. And it's so beautiful and honest, and I enjoyed it so much. And it's so wonderful to be exposed to your wisdom because you've been working in this field since 1988. Yep. That's, that's a long time. Fast. Yeah. <laughs> when dinosaurs ruled the earth. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. not that old because I was born before that, so it can't be that long ago. Okay. <laughs> so, Laura Lee, I would love to hear, I know you as you now, as this beautiful, unique, wonderful woman who's doing her work and has so many outlets, you've written books, you have a podcast, you have a nonprofit organization, you're doing all of these things. Where did you get started? And and where where does your story start as far as this journey to where you are now? Okay. So, uh, I um, had, I started my own eating disorder when I was 12. I was put into, I was very tall and thin as a child and as a young adolescent, but the, um, the body that was very uh, needed or wanted then, I should say, the body that was the fashion body at that time were, was sort of Marilyn Monroe, very voluptuous, very curvy. My all the women in my family, they all look like that. 
But I looked, I took after my father's side of the family, which was tall and thin, long limbed. And there was a lot of discussions about that. I just not was going to ever, I should be a nun or I should learn how to type because I would never get a husband. I just looked too weird. Was this ugly duckling kind of a girl. However, Montgomery Ward had a charm school. And after you went to the charm school, you could be a model if they picked you to be their models. So I did that. And I did ballet because I had that kind of body. Nothing I did got that body. I just was a genetic coding. It just came with that. And that was the way it was. But in the 60s, um, Twiggy came out, the first waif model. So she was concave stomach, you know, stick legs, stick arms, really big head, sort of the, the anorexic look, <laughs> you know, and she was, an, she was an adult. But I had that body naturally, pretty much. So all of a sudden my world changed because that body became the body that everybody thought that we, that women should look like. That was the start of that whole insane women need to look like adolescent boys. I didn't think it was insane at that time. I was very happy that all of a sudden my body was it, you know? So I started modeling at that time, but you know, you're, it was never enough because Twiggy was five, nine and she weighed less than a hundred pounds. She weighed about 98 pounds, I think. And I was five, eight and I weighed 105. So I was put, I was young. I was 12, 13 years old. I was very, I was adolescent. I had a high metabolism and I just had that body. So I was put on a diet though. And I was put on uh, a very, very restrictive calorie restrictive diet every time before I was to model in order to get under a hundred pounds. When you were 12 years old? Yeah. 12, 13, 14. This is what was going on with me. We would be weighed just like they did with this, the, you know, flight attendants. If you got on, if you went to work as a flight attendant, they would weigh you before you got on the plane. So it was the same kind of deal where they would weigh me before I got to a job, to a gig. And if we did not, and it just wasn't only me, it was all the other young models. If we did not weigh under hundred pounds, we didn't get to do, we didn't get to work that day. So I, that was just the way that it was. And I thought this was great because I got to do what I wanted to do. All I had to do was starve and I didn't care. And my mom didn't care and my doctor didn't care. In fact, uh, our doctor gave me what was then known as diet pills. What we do know now is speed <laughs> in order to, so I wouldn't eat. And then that wasn't very good because I couldn't sleep or think or deal with life. And so a new drug was out at that time called Valium. So it was put on Valium. And these things were not supposed to be addictive, but of course I got addicted at a very young age. Now, why would they have given you Valium? To keep to calm me down? down. Yeah, to calm me down. Oh, because they so, were giving you speed basically. Yeah. Wow. So it was like this little tiny valley of the dolls <laughs> person. Yeah. And we all were. And and everybody I knew was like this. And my mom was like this. And my sisters were like, you know, everybody 
this was a thing that we did in this in the 60s well that's basically so, what we did with um with um dorothy what's her name judy garland yes exactly the same cocktail right exactly that was the thing in the 60s okay so how did you move on how did that you know well uh, you know eventually it was uh doctors everybody knew it was uh addictive and so they stopped giving it to you and um so i had to like deal without it and i stopped modeling at some point because i started to develop hips and thighs even though i was still tall and thin I, I could not keep that wafy body. And so I stopped modeling and, you know, my life just went on. I had a, a child at a very young age and um, turned into an alcoholic in my 20s. And when I got sober in, in 78, I that was my start on the road of recovery. So I got sober. I gave up alcohol. I gave up drugs. And eventually I had to look at my eating disorder. So all through the 80s, I was struggling with my eating disorder while staying clean and sober. But it was extremely hard. And, uh, you know, I did everything you can do, everything you can think to do to control my eating disorder. I took um, urine shots. I went to fat camps. I went to... Uh, therapist. I went to, uh, you know, clean out my colon. I mean, I did everything I could think of. What was the nature of your eating disorder at that time? So it bounced around. I would be a binger and then I would try to get rid of the food somehow. So that could be by extreme exercising. It could be by um, diuretics. It could be by throwing up. It could be by um, taking laxatives. And then I would do that. And then I would go on severe diets and I would get way down to a very thin weight. And I would um, do that for a while until I would break out and binge and the cycle would, would go. And I could weigh, I could lose and gain 50 pounds, you know, fairly quickly um, by doing this insane thing. And every time I came off of something like that, I was uh, more crazy <laughs> and more, and just, I was sick. I was just a sick girl. I didn't know what else to do. I was staying clean and sober. All this time I had a, a child. I was married. I was, I had a a big salon in Mill Valley. I, I was a hairdresser for a really long time. I've been a hairdresser since 1969. And, um, but eventually what happened to me is somebody told me to read this book called Fat is a Feminist Issue. And this book was about, we need to take our power back as women. We need to stop hating our bodies. We need to stop dieting and um and do it in a feminist way of you know I'm not going to do this to me anymore so it was uh, actually written by Princess Diana's therapist Susie Orbach <laughs> so so weird that that was the way that was so I read that book and I thought this is really what I want to do 
I had a very hard time doing it with with no support because nobody else was thinking about this or doing this. So I had a friend of mine who was a nutritionist and she said, you sound like a lot of my clients. I give them a food plan, they eat the whole food plan that day and then they're lost, you know, and they cannot diet. They just cannot diet. So I said, I know what to do with them. Let's get a group together because I had gotten sober in a group. So let's do a group. So um, we did that. We, I got those people and we met for a whole year, this group. And after that year, we had stopped dieting. We had learned how to, or we had relearned how to eat intuitively. We read um, every book that was out at that time, Janine Roth. Carol Munter, Jane. Oh, I love her. I love yeah. her. So we read the, the ones that were out there, we read them and we read them together as a group and we recovered. So I was, again, going back to this other person, the nutritionist talking to her and she said, I know I have a friend who has a, has a young intern who wants to specialize in eating disorders. You guys should get together. Well, that was like 86, I guess. And we started a group together and it just really worked. You know, it was a support group to let go of dieting, to honor and love the body that you have, no matter what it looks like, how old it was, and to relearn intuitive eating, to eat when your body was hungry, to stop when you were full and to eat what your body is asking you for. And then the big piece was it's not about food which is what we then named our book later on when we wrote it uh, about 10 or 15 years later um, to look at the underlying issues how do we take care of ourselves because that's really what the whole eating disorder was it was about taking care of myself obviously I was put into it um, by a different reason but you know if I didn't have those underlying um, issues of not being comfortable in my own skin, not being okay with myself. If I already didn't, wasn't set up for that in a way, emotionally, physically, uh, I would have gone, you know what? I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to starve myself for, you know, 20 bucks a day. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to do it. But I didn't know. I didn't have that. I didn't have that self-worth. So that's what happens, I think, a lot. Even today, these young women will go on these really severe diets, do very severe things, because they don't have enough self-esteem to say, you know, this is my body. This is what I look like. And I'm okay. I'm all right. It's all right with, you know. Absolutely. And I think that one fundamental principle is the biggest crux to all of this and why we haven't seen any improvement since you struggled with this. No. Oh. 30, 40 years ago, because there's still that same fear that we're, is instilled, I feel, in almost all women, which is that I am not okay. That's I am right. not okay. As I am, as I show up in this world, it's I'm not okay. I'm not safe unless. Yes. And whatever that, you know, whatever the unless is at that point, whether it's unless I'm curvy and voluptuous, unless I'm stick thin, unless I'm desirable, I think it all comes down to desirable, but also just acceptable, you know, because a thousand different ways, I think women feel we're given the message that we're not acceptable. 
Yeah. We're not allowed to have a presence or a place in a lot of situations. Yet the one thing we do know is that when we look good, people treat us differently. Yes. People are more welcoming, more generous. They feel more kind towards us. And that has precipitated itself for decades and decades. And it, it still exists, but I, and unfortunately I feel like it's almost, oh gosh, being kind of lit on fire with social media and the constant yeah. access to comparing and seeing beautiful, what we see as beautiful, desirable women who get so many accolades and likes. And so the fear has been astronomically increased because people are able to go online and say, oh my gosh, I need that. I need to, yeah. how do I get that kind of attention and approval and we're, we're getting further and further from that one important point which is i'm okay right we're, we we because we don't want to admit that we're like no 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 i i need to be get a thousand likes and get all the approval and all the intention then i'll be okay and we lose touch with that base point which i feel like is what the essence of your work is laura lee is is getting us back to yes. that point where we say hey if we, if you keep chasing something outside of yourself to validate yourself, you're going to be running forever, which yeah. as you described the way that you felt, you know, after so many years of an eating disorder, it is so exhausting. Yeah. And you get to it that is. point where you say, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm so tired. There's yes. nothing more ex- exhausting than an addiction, which you know, as well, we both know, we both come from substance abuse and eating disorders, which often go hand in hand. Yes. And, and uh, you know, I have a, a person who called me the other day to come in to work with me. And uh, she said, you know, I, I feel okay unless I start to, do- I start to um, date again. You know, she said, I've been not dating for a couple of years since my last breakup and I've worked a lot on myself. But every time I think about dating again, I get this immediate hit that my body is not okay. I want to go on a diet. I go on a diet. It fails. I gain weight instead of lose weight. And I'm back in this horrible place. And so do I just never date again? And I said, no, you love your body no matter what. And she goes, well, that will never work because the men don't like my body. Mm-hmm. And I said, you need a different man. That men, the men that you're you're letting in, they don't deserve you. They have been, you know, brainwashed as well. And, and you can be a teacher and talk to them and try to work with them, or you can just say, "Thank you." Next, and she said, "Well, I just, you know, this is really a hard place for me." And I said, "I understand. We are still doing this to women that they need to be, they need to look a certain way in order to be lovable." And we have, that is the big lie. You know, we have swallowed that hook, line, and sinker. But, you know, you look at social media. I work with young women all the time with my peer ed program where I teach young women how to go into schools and talk about eating disorders and body hatred with me. Now, right now we're doing it through Zoom, but the program still goes on. It's been about almost 20 years of a program that I started it's called the Beyond Hunger Period Program, and we go into schools all over the place. And they will, you know, I will talk to them before they become a peer educator about where they are. And so many of them say, I, I, I think I'm okay. And then I look on social media and I don't look like those people. And I said, but they have been 
photoshopped. You know, that's not even, they don't even look like that. That person, you know, that person is beautiful and blonde and curvy and gorgeous. However, they have messed our, they have messed with your image. So we're not even seeing the real person. Yeah, we're, we're not. And, and that's an issue, right? That's an issue with our society that I, I am hopeful can begin to shift once we recognize just how damaging it is and not conducive to individual peace, happiness, value, and worth. However, you know, we can't wait for the world to change. We no, change. we have to, well, yeah, we have to call it out, which is what, what we do with the peer education. We show them a video. We go, this is what it is. You know, this is the lie you're being told. Mm-hmm. And I do have a client who, I mean, I have a friend who has clients sometimes. He's a, um, a plastic surgeon, and he'll get, he will refer to Beyond Hunger to me, mm-hmm. people that come in and want to have a lot of surgery because they don't like themselves, you know? And he says, just in the last two years, he's had young women come in with a picture of a bunny, of a bun that like their face looked like a bunny. That Snapchat. Oh, the Snapchat has, filter? Yeah. And he'll go, but that's a bunny. You're a human. <laughs> it's, not, it's not funny, but I've seen it. I see it too. Well, I, I, I know that, but that's a new phenomenon that people come in with these Snapchat filters because it makes you look like this cartoon. Everybody's right. sort of perfect. I mean, not yes. perfect, you know, sort of smooth yes. sort of look that, that people, yes. they get a lot of likes for it, right? They post it and people that's are like, right. wow, you look so beautiful. That's right. And they'll come <laughs> in and I, and you know, but it's no different than, 10 years ago when we came in and they were like, I need to cut my breasts off because I want to be flat chested or I want to get implants because I need bigger breasts or, you know, I need implants in my butt or you need to take some fat out of my butt and put it in my cheeks. You know, it's the same insanity, insanity. And we're chasing something that is unattainable because no matter what happens, you're not going to like yourself anyway, because that's where it starts. No. And, and anyone who has suffered from body dysmorphic disorder, which Mm -hmm. essentially anyone with an eating disorder has to some degree, I would say for sure, for sure, understand or see your body accurately because there's always a lens of judgment and critique and really rejection because, you know, I know my experience of an eating disorder is it, it never really mattered the weight that I lost because it always kind of felt, okay, well, yeah, but I need to do more this now this, or, you know, it's like that whack-a-mole, like you get one thing, like, okay, yeah. I'm enough, but now I need to focus. Like I want, you want the bigger breast or you still want to, whatever it is. Right. And when you said, you know, you said, Laura Lee, the words we're chasing after it. And again, to me, I had this visual of, like we said, being okay to me is like, you can either sit with yourself and be like, I am in the essence and the space of being okay or you can run infinitely chasing after the next thing. And the thing about being okay is that you've decided that no matter any external condition, you're in a place to accept yourself fully. And that means you're not dependent on anything outside of you. And that comes from being able to just be still for a second and say, what is it that I'm really trying to achieve? And it is that we're trying to achieve... The only person's approval we're, we're ultimately trying to get is our own. That's right. That's we well, yes, of that, course. We can stop running after things and we can say, you yeah. know what? Just as I sit right now, this is my body 
and I embrace, I worship it. I, I, you know, hold it sacredly. And if anybody else wants to come into my sacred space, then this is what I show and I don't change for anyone. Yeah. And I tell my clients and myself when I was trying to recover is that, um, if I accept, if I love, if I am okay, if I, as I sit here, accept completely who I am and love myself unconditionally, that is who I will bring to me. That is who will be outside of me. And if they're not, they're not my friend and I don't want them in my life. Mm -hmm. And that's a hard decision to make, you know, but it is, I've had to, uh, over the years, I haven't done it in a really long time, but I tell my clients, you know, if somebody makes you feel, doesn't make you feel like the awesome goddess that you are, then they, they don't get to be around you. They lose. <laughs> they don't get to be there with you. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that, and that doesn't mean like pushing people away or saying like, you got to, but it's just literally being like, this is, this is, this is who I am. I am what That's I am. If you like it, welcome. I'd love yeah. to share with you. If not, then thank you. But you know, yeah, thank you. No. I don't have room for Even that to change. I'm not going to compromise myself to gain someone else's acceptance. But of course, I, I say this as if it's easy. I still struggle with this often. You know, it's it's a challenging thing in, in our world, as again, as it has been for as long as we can remember for women. Yeah. Well, and, you know, there is nothing like the tsunami, as a, my, my doctor friend says, the tsunami of aging that we will go through. <laughs> you know, it just hits us like a wave of, oh, my God, not only do I feel like this, and not only is my parts of my body kind of breaking down a little bit, but also I look so different. You know, I'm like the same person, but yet, you know, I don't even recognize myself. And and again, I take it back to the feet of the culture of not of not accepting the body, the, the elder, not accepting the wrinkle, not accepting the crone, you know, if you will. We're all over. Oh, men look so beautiful with that white hair on their, you know, temples. But forget it. If the women have that, that makes them look old, you know, and. You think about like George Bush Sr. and Barbara Bush, they're same same age, but yet they would there would be a joke about that Barbara Bush looked like his mother because she had completely white hair. And he did too. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It just drove me crazy when that was out. I, I think that the, the idea of, of aging and the rejection and perceived sort of people kind of going down a few pegs as they get older is so bizarre yeah. because aging is the most natural thing in the world and it's a beautiful thing we, we if you're lucky enough to age that means you didn't die <laughs> yeah which is pretty rad <laughs> yeah and it, we act as if like some people escape it like it's like oh that person's getting old it's like as if you're not going to yes <laughs> like is it yes. as if it was like oh they really let themselves go or something it's like no they're just continuing they're on just journey. getting older yeah and yeah I, you know i can't wait because i truly believe because i know this is something that used to be and is embraced in some cultures but that the elders are considered of great value because they have the wisdom of life because yeah. they lived because they yeah. care they know what it means to be with your body for many decades for a long yes. time. 
it, it's, it's such a bizarre concept to that your like perceived value goes down as you get older. What sense does that make? It's it's just an indication of our severe preoccupation with superficial. Well, you know, the other part about this is that who buys the most products? Young people. So that's who they're targeting. So if you don't want to look fat and ugly and gray and stupid and not, not valuable, then you better buy this product that will make you younger, faster, stronger, smoother, nicer, more desirable. Mm -hmm. So it's about money. You know, that's really the reason why we're doing, why this is like it is. It's about money. That's, it's all about money. money. That's the other issue in our, in our society is, you know, not only are we superficial, um, we are also completely based on a, you know, monetary means and gains and, and, you know, gaining financial abundance and and focus on that. And the problem, Laura Lee, which I'm sure you're aware of, is that when people love and accept themselves as they are, there's not a lot of money in that. No, there's no money. There's no money. So the disturbing thing is that most big businesses are very invested in keeping us in a place of rejecting ourselves, of disapproving of ourselves. And of being in fear. And when you really kind of take a step back and look at that, you recognize the sort of wheel that we're running on. Um, you know, they yes. call it industrial complex, right? All the industrial yeah. complexes, it's, you know, in order to, to make this money, you got to keep the problem relevant. Right. right. And and it's so core with us, for, uh, for us who have been taught this, I was not taught that my worth was something other than my looks. My looks were my only commodity as a as a girl child in the family that I came into. And my mother, same way. My mother was a beautiful woman, beautiful, always told how beautiful she was. Every picture, she beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And but there was a very thin line for her to walk to. She was very curvy. And when curvy was no longer in, she started to think she was really fat. She died at 80 years old. She had Alzheimer's. Mm. And she would say to me, she didn't know who I was. She didn't know where she was. She didn't know what anything about anything. But she would say, I can't believe how fat I am. So that's how core that message was for her. That it was her only identity at some point that she was too fat. And she was so much more, obviously, than what she looked like. But she always got a lot of attention for her looks, which, of course, as a young teenager, and I look like Twiggy, so did I. And I wanted that. I mean, that was a drug to me. You know, I got paid and I got jobs and I got wanted because of how I looked. And it was a rude awakening. (laughs) Also, is that you know, as two individuals who have you know identified as being addicts, addicted, substance abusers, eating disorder, you know, experiencers, we know what it's like to be addicted to something, and feeling like you get attention for your looks can be addictive. Of course, it's incredible. You get that, you get the accolades, and it can feel so good. Yet, just like a drink or like reaching a certain weight. 
it's yeah. it goes away, right? It, it doesn't yeah. last. Right. And well, there was a study done by uh, high school students, and they asked uh, boys and girls, why do you smoke? You know, why do you smoke cigarettes? And why do you take drugs? And there was a lot of different things. But one of the things they saw from it is boys, uh, boys smoke because they're addicted to the nicotine and it's cool and that's what they want to do. And they take drugs because they want to get high. Girls take drugs, especially speed, and smoke cigarettes because they want to be thin. Mm-hmm. So it's a di- it's still a d- an addiction, but it's a different reason that they want to do the thing, whatever the thing is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because they're they're seeking a, a certain um, outcome. They're they're seeking that. Okay, this will lead to you know this will lead to me being thin, more right. desirable. And that's and that's what they're seeking after. And I'll drink instead of eat. You know, I'll, I'll I mean, they would say, you know, well, I drink uh, wine, a spritzer, because it doesn't have very many calories, and then I'm not very hungry because I've drank. And it, you know, to me, that this is still where we're going. Even today, this is still happening. It's. What in the world are we thinking as a, as a society? Well, that, but that's exactly what it is, is really ask, what are we thinking? Because when right. you, again, when you kind of look at it from a broader view, it's like, oh, we've just really got things very backwards. You know, if you take judgment out of it, you can just see like, oh, we're just very misled about who we are and about what matters. Yeah. Because when you ask, like, look at your mom, like what a tragic sentiment to, to be 80 and all you can think to say is, I can't believe I'm, I'm heavy. Yeah. And because then it's like you're still in that zone of, and you know, exactly. it's, it's, and no wonder we're here because we're still at this place where, you know, there's actually a quote by Marilyn Monroe that says, Hollywood is a place where they'll, they'll give you $100 for a kiss and a quarter for your soul. Oh my gosh. And yeah. That's exactly the world we live in is where people, they say, oh my gosh, she's so beautiful. And you know, she's pretty nice. Or, oh, she's, she, she's, a good person, but that's secondary. That's yeah. It. It's, we have it reversed because looks truly are just icing. They're just that it. It's. I don't think we don't want to say like, oh, deny like that you like looking a certain way or anything. You can be the goddess and be like, yes, I know that I'm glowing and vibrant and all cool, you know. Like, but be it, let it be in its own way. Not trying to feel like you have to appear a certain way to be acceptable. Start from the inside. And start yeah. to worship and see your essence and then notice how, you know, the rest will kind of come out and we don't have to try and control it so much because that's what matters the most, you know, but people write that off as, you know, self-help stuff like, oh yeah, like yourself first. And, you know, it's all, it's what the inside, it's what's on the inside that counts. And people ignore that and they're like, yeah, but I want to go lose 10 pounds and look hotter because then I get attention and that's what matters. So as long as we keep living by that paradigm, we're in trouble and we're going to keep struggling with what we've been struggling for decades and centuries at this point. So the big question really, after all that we've discussed and looking at all these current, the current situation and the way that the state of things as they are is what do we do about this and how does true change happen? How do we begin to make big changes that stick and will 
lead to future generations not having to live the way that you had to live growing up, that I have had to live growing up and now? What what causes change, do you think? I think education. I think uh, the more we can get, I think the more people like you and me and people who have been working on this issue for a long time, the more we can be the loud mouth in the room, you know, and, and when somebody says, you know, in a, somebody in your family or somebody at a party or says, you know, well, I'm going to go on a diet and we have to be the voice of reason and say, you know, diets don't work. And this is the reason why. And, you know, or when our, you know, when our kids or our kids, friends, or uh, somebody that. A, a young person says, oh, I look terrible. We have to be the one that says, actually, you do not look terrible. Actually, you're a fabulous person. I think I love being around you. You're funny. You're cute. You're uh, hysterical. You're, you know, you're uh, whatever. We have to be that person that does not go there with them, you know, that doesn't go like I did for years, which is somebody would say, Oh, I wish I was thinner. And I'd go, oh, me too, you know, and then we'd go off on that stupid thing and big old conversation about nothing, you know? You know, it's it's interesting because I work with a lot of young teens, teen girls struggling with their eating disorders. And quite a few of them will say what what is most challenging for them is they'll be in the kitchen and they're trying so hard to go back to quote unquote normal to yeah. stop counting calories to stop restricting, to stop being preoccupied with food. And then their parents walk in and they say, oh, I can't eat these bad foods. We're trying to cut back. We need to, okay, I need to, uh, you know, not be so bad about what I eat and unhealthy. And they're not, they don't mean any harm, but just like you said, that we have a diet culture. People are fixated yep. on diets. And so it's, it's this dual thing where kids are being told, okay, don't get too caught up in eating and everything so that you develop a disorder yet we're allowed to talk openly about how we need to cut back on certain things and limit what we eat and yeah so it's 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 confusing messaging you have hit the nail on the head because i find working with peer educators going into schools talking to ninth graders eighth grade seventh graders tenth graders they once they get it once the light bulb goes on they go oh yeah that's right because it wasn't that long ago that they were intuitive eaters. It wasn't that long ago for them that they liked their body. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not that much, they're not an adult already and have years of feeling horrible about themselves. So they can remember what that feels like to be okay with themselves and to be okay with, you know, like come in from re from playing outside and just eat and then stop eating and then go outside and play again. You know, they know they can remember that they know when they needed to drink water or come into the house and pee. I mean, they know they have that bodily trust that then goes away sometimes in teenagehood and young adulthood. So when they get it, they have it, but their parents or their big people around them, the teachers or whoever it is, they don't, they don't, they're not reinforcing it because they haven't gotten it. Mm -hmm. So I always have a problem with that. I feel like we need to not only educate the youth that this is, this is what's going on, but we have to tell their parents to shut up. 
<laughs> don't do this. Even if you feel bad about yourself, go to therapy. Don't say this in front of your teenage daughter that your hips are too big. Don't do it. You know, don't. I can, I have gone into schools and done this with like little kids, like, you know, eight years old, seven years old and said, how many of you think you're too fat? And almost every little girl will will kind of tentatively raise their hand because they think they're supposed to be too fat, right? They're supposed to think that and how, and like hardly any boys, some, of course, more boys all the time, but not that many boys. And I'll say, how many of you think your mom or dad are too fat? And they're like, I don't think that. And how many of you have moms and dads that they think they're too fat and they raise their hand? Oh, wow. They already know this is uh, not really that this doesn't make that much sense, but this is the world I live in. Mm-hmm. So I, I, you know, we try to give like with the peer education from beyond hunger, we try to do peer to peer because, you know, who cares what I say? I'm an adult, blah, blah, blah. But another young woman or man or, or boy, young woman or man telling them, I have been where you are. It's nowhere, Bill. You need to go back and claim yourself, claim your body, claim your food, claim your emotional self. And they, their ears go up, they perk up, they get it. And, um, you know, the, the presentation, we use a lot of videos in it and we use a lot of interactive stuff. So, you know, we have them draw on the board and write things down. And, you know, I can really tell I have a te- when I have a teacher who is totally into this and gets it and completely supports it 100 percent. And then I, I know that there's other teachers that want us to come in. They want us to talk about eating disorders, but I'll see stuff on their wall like drink at least eight gallons of water a day, you know, or, <laughs> you know, don't eat. Don't eat high fat foods or nothing, you know, whatever. I just don't think we should, they are, everybody already knows all this stuff. We shouldn't be, you know, why, I mean, I do have teachers that will say, ask your body, is it hungry? And what is it hungry for? Mm -hmm. To me, that is such a great message, you know, instead of don't eat fast food because they're going to eat fast food. Yeah. And I think that consistency in our messaging is is so important because that ties into when our parents encourage us, oh, just love your body, be kind to your body. But then when they say to your point, oh, I need to lose some weight. I need to start eating something. I need to, rather than saying, I also want to embrace loving my body. It's more critical. You know, they they have to be so critical or so uh, aware of our critical statements and messaging, because as you said, the kids pick up on it. Kids are very very tuned and kids are constantly gathering from outside of themselves, how to make beliefs for themselves. They don't know. They don't come into this world having a a restored place of of their beliefs. They, they gather that along the way and it's their primary influence is their parents. So if they get mixed messaging, they're going to be very confused and they're mostly going to pick up on cues. So when parents are also, you know, insecure and questioning themselves, kids pick up on that. So that to say that's not an easy fix, um, you know, people in general are, are, 
insecure and are fearful. Yeah. The more that we can move away from that and work on our own security so that we're, we're mentors of that, where it can influence people in that way. Yeah. I think that's when things change. And, and it's not, you know, and I don't always want to, I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm always blaming the parents either because I have, you know, I've, I've counseled young women that were dying of an eating disorder and their parents are pulling their hair out. They're like, we never said a word to her. We don't say a word about us. We're okay with us. We're okay with her. We named her Athena. We never ever said anything about her looks. Where did she get this? It's like, what does she live in a bubble? Or did she or does she watch TV or does she mm-hmm. go on social media? Does she go outside her door? Because the messages are incredible. And these are little young consumers. And there is a lot of money to be made on them not feeling good about themselves. And they know that. You know, the advertising agencies, they know this. Yeah. And then they also get such mixed messages from media and you know everything from movies to restaurants yep. because on yep. the one hand we get all these messages of go work out every day and take care of your body on the next we get these messages of go eat fast food because it's super fun and you'll have a great time yeah. and it's really great and, and you get a toy toys and you know <laughs> go see these movies and oh in all the movies all the girls are going to look perfect but don't worry if you don't it's fine if you don't but yeah. we're going to make everyone look perfect so it's a lot of back and forth and hard to for anybody to get a straight message and yeah and I tell the you know again I I work with uh, a lot of these um young peer educators who have had struggles and have come through the other side or or maybe they know friends of theirs that have and that's why they're drawn to the work of doing these presentations with me and I see that you know they're frustrated too they just like this is just stop doing this don't be doing this you know and I but our society does not support that as we know and when I traveled to say, I was in Germany before COVID and I went through a, a department store and there was every kind of size and shape of a mannequin that you can imagine. And there was a mannequin in a wheelchair and there were every color and there was every kind of hairdo. It just wasn't all this white person over and over really thin mm-hmm. with perfect hair, perfect skin, perfect eyes, whatever. It was just regular people as mannequins with outfits on. And there wasn't a special section for like really cute, really thin little tiny clothes and big giant other clothes that weren't that cute. It was all the clothes were there. And because I'm American, I don't know anything about the sizing there. So like I picked up a sweater with something like a 42. I'm like, well, whatever about that, because <laughs> yeah. I have no idea what that means, you know, in my size, I don't know. So, okay. <laughs> and uh, it just takes away a lot of that neurotic stuff that we have done to uh, ourselves here in America that we have bought and in, into this idea. And um you know, right now, because bikini body, you know, like, I love the thing that says, how do you get a bikini body, get a bikini and put it on your body. Mm-hmm. And then you have one. <laughs> <I love it. laughs> and, but the, 
the pressure right now to do something about that bikini body of join a gym or, or do, go on a cleanse or a fast or intermediate fasting. or And then it gets all squished up and these girls and boys are eating not enough nutrition or they're not or, or it's really weird and it's counteracting everything. And they're just, it's not, it's horrible, actually. And then when you see what they get, a lot of times what they get fed in schools is not good either. Yeah. You know, it's not whole foods. It's not good foods a lot of times. Then they're mad at them that they gain weight. It's like, well, you just gave them a thousand calories for a snack. Yeah. Anyway, you know. I- there's so many areas that are problematic and that could use um, some change and yeah. shift. And I, I guess the only real answer to this question is, is of what do we do is just start any way we can start. do what you're doing, which is, I mean, your program is amazing or they um, to go into schools and to speak to these children directly. Because I remember when people used to come into my classroom and speak to me, it felt so, powerful and I felt so special that these people were coming in and telling us ideas yep. you soak them up you know you soak yep. up those ideas because you think wow if these people are going out of their way and coming to tell me this they must know something and they, and they make it interactive and fun and and you, those things stick with you there's still things yep. that stick with me and so going in there and giving them those messages of hey listen you don't have to do this Right. You don't have to compare your body. There's a different way. You can embrace. Yeah, there's a different yeah. way. There it is. And that's the message. And the other part is the only thing that we is in our power to do is for us to be the message, to be the message that we want. Exactly. Exactly. And the thing that I know, I mean, I get such good feedback and we're invited back to classrooms. So I know that it works. I know the teachers want us and the students want us. But what happens a lot of the time, a couple of years will go by and I'll get a call from somebody that I, that we were in her classroom two years ago. And she says, you know, I would like to be a peer educator. You came to my seventh grade class. I was on the cusp of an eating disorder. I did not get one. And I want to come into schools and talk about that. And it's like, and I've had like a big sister, a middle sister and a little sister and then I've heard from people who were peer educators when we first started and they've got a little girl or a little boy and they call or they send me a text and go, I want you to know my daughter does not have an eating disorder because I didn't have an eating disorder mm. because I do not do what, you know, I know that other people do. I didn't do that to her because I got this, mm-hmm. you know, we called our team book over it. Because um, actually the peer educators that year named it because they were like, this book is about getting over it. And so that's why it's called that because they have to get over it. We have to get over ourselves with this thing. Well, I would be curious if it's okay to ask is how would you describe your relationship with food now? And do you feel that you're at a place where you're over it and, and a place where you're ready to be, to be seen and have people know how, you know, you engage with food and eating. Oh, I'm completely out of the clause about any of that stuff. (laughs) You know, I don't, uh, and I, like I said, you know, I think that we who work in this field, like you or me, you have a podcast, I have a podcast, I've written books, I've talked about this, I have clients it's our duty. It's our job to 
you know, if we heard somebody talking about being a, a, abusive to a dog or to a child, we would like, hey, wait a minute. You know, we would step in. And I think it's the same way. So I am not uh, at all shy about being, um, you know, just eating and doing what I do and telling somebody when they say, do you, do you want to eat meat for lunch? Well, I'm not really hungry, but I'll go with you. I'll have a tea or whatever. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, they'll say, well, I'm not really hungry, so I don't want to eat. Well, I am. And so I'm going to eat, you know, I am not, I'm okay. I don't, I, I'm okay with, with having a bodily function, you know, I'm okay with, with that. And I think that frees people around me in a way that they're not being weird about it either. And, you know, like I'll go, if I go to before COVID, go to somebody's house, they offer me a piece of food, which they're offering me love. If I'm not hungry, I might take a bite to be polite, but I really am not going to, I'm not going to eat to save somebody's feelings, but I can explain why, you know, I don't have to be a jerk about it. I just like, I am, I want to take this home. It's really good. I love it, but I am really full. One of the therapists at Beyond Hunger for years and years, her name is Helen. She would say, uh, that part of my tummy is full. So it will empty out sooner or later. So I'll take this and I'll eat it then. Like, you know, if we had a donut at the office or something. And, um, and, and I'm the same way about what I look like because I'm, I'm older now, like the tsunami of aging is nothing like the craziness of thinness. <laughs> it's a whole other level. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I just talk about it. This is how I feel. It's weird to get, you know, to get all the, your, these bodily changes that you didn't even, I mean, I knew it was going to happen, but when it happens, it's a different thing. You know, seeing a friend of mine with wrinkles on her face makes me love her. Seeing wrinkles on my face make me feel like I need to get a facelift because I live in the culture that I live in. Mm. So I understand that. And I'm not, you know, I just go, well, there it is. That's my culture. Yeah. And I think it's important to let people know that being recovered or in recovery from an eating disorder doesn't mean that you don't sometimes have thoughts or fears. Of course. That it's okay that even when you've made a lot of progress, you might still have times where you have doubts or fears and that's okay. It doesn't mean that you're not doing awesome and still on your way and in a place of recovery. Right. I mean, who doesn't, who doesn't have nights that you wake up in the middle of the night and go, how old am I? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> when did that happen? You know, or during COVID, like, how am I going to make a living? Or will I ever get on, get to see my friends on the other side of the country again? Is there, you know, we have to be okay with that. We have these thoughts and fears and, you know, we just work through them. Yeah. You work through them and you find tools and the thing that I like to impart, especially the teen girls, because, or really anyone who's deep in their eating disorder, I think what they want to know the most is, will I get to have some peace again? 
because it's yes. so overwhelming and all consuming and just so exhausting to be deep in your eating disorder. They just want to know there'll be some relief. And I believe yes. yes, that as we move into recovery, it may not be perfect, but it's a whole lot better once you get a lot of that weight and obsessiveness off of your, your back. That's right. I mean, I tell my clients or I tell my, the teens or whoever that these are just thoughts. It's the same kind of thought of like when you're driving down the car, down the road and somebody cuts you off and there's a thought, I would like to follow that person home and slap their face. But you don't probably do that thought. <laughs> you just have the thought and move on. Yeah. Like, uh-huh, I'm not going to do that. And it's the same way, like I, you know, look in the mirror and see that there's something I don't, I don't like because of the culture that tells me that it's not acceptable. It's not even my own thought. It's just what I've learned to think. And then the next thought is, okay, fine, whatever. Let's move along, you know? (laughs) Absolutely. Or even sometimes I just, I've come to, when I have a thought, I say, wow, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. That was that was a wow. not to have, not, not judge or just, wow, no. look at that. That was an interesting interlude there, huh? <laughs> Wonder where that came from. Or, and if it's something I do need to attend to, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes my thought, you know, we talk a lot about in the book, it's not about food, fat thoughts, mm. that they're not really about fat. They're a way we have learned to take care of ourselves So I knew when almost all of my life, how to feel fat. Like that was really my only feeling. How do you feel today? I feel fat. Mm. Well, fat is not a feeling. Well, it was to me because it meant I was not okay. I was not acceptable. I needed to do something. Um, So it was easier for me to feel fat than it was to feel lonely or scared, or tired, or afraid. That was devastating. I didn't, those big feelings, I just smushed them all on my body. Mm-hmm. And if I felt yucky, it was because I was fat, rather than I feel sad, because I'm having a fight with my mom, or my friend, or I'm scared about the pandemic much rather be scared about how fat I am because I can, then I can control it. Yeah. Yeah. So those diet thoughts like, okay, well, when I go on a diet, then I feel better because now I have a plan, you know? Yep. And uh, the plan doesn't really work ever, but I have a plan and I feel better mm-hmm. and then it doesn't work. And then I don't feel better, but I don't know that I go, I didn't know that going in until I, stop the addiction of dieting you know that was an addiction for me like uh, you know it's monday it must be a diet day so i need to i'll feel better on monday because i have a plan and i just went through a lost weekend (laughs) of eating everything before the diet started you want to get a hold of something and you want to do something that makes you feel balanced and and stabilized and feel better. Yeah. Yeah. We're seeking just like any other addiction. You're seeking out 
something that isn't uh, a means to an end. It's just a temporary thing. Right. That feel a little better. And, you know, I like, I like that you say, cause that's, I think that's one of the biggest things is when, when other things are going around in our life, if, if we don't, you know, let's say something's unstable at work or we, we you know, leave a relationship. The one thing we feel we can do is, well, maybe I'll go on a diet. I'll get on a diet. Yeah. And I'll, I'll just focus on that. Cause it feels like, and that's not to say that it's not a great thing to focus on your health and your well being and just your body, you're taking care of your body and yourself. Yet when it's a rigid thing, when it's a, well, I'm going to really restrict and do this. And it, it's a means of trying to feel that although other things are not going how you want it, you can make one thing go your way yeah and the even before that the the thought about that I would feel better if I decided to plan the binge because now I have a binge I can control that I thought you know I can do it Mm -hmm. and then there'll be another plan to do something about that binge so it was like a plan a and plan b Ah. (laughs) Well, that's always what I, I think, well, looking back, I, I think that having an eating disorder was almost my, it was a, my own little drama so that I didn't have to yeah. feel the things that were going on outside of my life and things that were, were going ways that I didn't want them to go. I could sink back in, retreat into my eating disorder, which is, again, it's an addiction. That's the same thing people do with addictions is it's your own little yes. secret world that you can kind of control. That's right. You can make and, plans and your schemes and no one else gets to know about it. And it's your little secret. And that can feel yeah. powerful in a way and comforting in a way. It does. And that's, I've had, I'm sure you've had people too that say, it is my only friend. Yeah. My eating disorder is my only thing. If I give that up, I won't have anything. It's like, no, if you give that up, you'll have everything. Yeah. You know, it's not your friend. It is a horrible friend. It's, it's, it's not, that's, I always tell people that I say, when you get sober or when you get into recovery from an eating disorder, it's the same as ending a toxic relationship, an unhealthy relationship. But you have yeah. to remember that anyone who's left an unhealthy relationship, oftentimes you're still sad and you still feel the loss. And that's right. okay. And that's right. normal and natural when you let go of something that even though it didn't really do you well, it still served something and it still was a companion to you. And that's what a yeah. disorder is, is it feels like a, a true companion that is always there. That's right. And that's what they'll say. And it's such a good description. That's a perfect thing to say is that because I can remember when I quit smoking, you know, I did not feel good about that. I felt horrible. I felt like my they, I had taken my skin off. You know, I felt like I had a giant sunburn all the time. I was so irritated about everything. And it took a long time to feel good. Mm. It took a long time. But I knew going back would make it feel worse in the long run. And I had to go for the long, you know, the long term, which was not my best it was not my best thing to do. I was much more like, oh, the microwave takes too long. I want everything right now. <laughs> I make the decision to change. I change. I want to be happy right now about that change, you know, and not feel like you're not feel any grief about it or pain or suffering. Just only feel good. That's all. Absolutely. And that is what shows, you know, real 
growth and just shows that the power of a human being is, is when you're able to keep walking forward, even when that thing is calling to you that, you know, or you think, you know, that if you went back to it, you know, whether it's smoking or an eating disorder, that you'd feel that comfort again, that you'd feel better, but you, it's when you really are, have that, you know, that strength to keep walking forward and saying, I don't want to go back to that. Even if I could feel better for a moment, I want to keep walking towards something that is sustainable, that will consistently bring yes. you to a better place. And that's what yeah. it is when you truly leave behind an eating disorder is it's, it's consistent peace. It's not as conditional. And so it's not something that you feel you gain and lose all the time. You just get to have a, a greater sense of peace. That's right. That's right. That's perfect how you just said that. But it's hard. And I, again, just, just like leaving a toxic relationship, you're going to miss that person a whole lot. And there's going to be times where you want to call them and you want to go back to them. Even I know, how bad they were. I know. <laughs> but, it's you hard. know, unlike food, I mean, but, you know, with food, you can go, well, um, you know, I can change this relationship with myself and with my food yeah. and with my body i can i i can do that with another person you cannot do it because no nobody wants to obey us <laughs> yeah. yeah and just like that the only thing you can do when you leave a relationship that didn't work is you focus on you and you say well how can i work on myself so that i'm ready for a healthier relationship you say the same right. thing after an eating disorder you say well the problem wasn't the food the problem was right. never my body. The problem right. was, my, was what my beliefs were and my thoughts about myself and these situations. So what do I do to work from that place rather than thinking right. anything else? Because that's what a diet is. It's saying, no, it's everything outside of me that's the problem. It's, oh, I can't that's eat right. this or that or the other thing. Those that's things right. were a problem. If I just do this, then everything will be fixed. Not not the case. Right. I mean, I have, you know, I'll, uh, young, some young girl will get me after class and go, I got to tell you, this is what I'm eating. You know, I, I can't eat this. I can't eat this. I can't eat this. I can't eat this. And I'll go, why can't you eat that? Are you allergic to it? Will it kill you? Does your throat close? No, it'll make me fat. It's like the studies have shown, <laughs> you know, if you trust your body, which you have to, mm -hmm. your body will say, this food is okay. This food is not okay. This amount is okay. This amount is not okay. Um, I am now hungry. I am now full. It will for sure do that. And that's your only diet expert because you've already got it walking around with you. Yeah. And they're, again, because they're young, they go, right. I remember that, you yeah, know, wasn't that long ago. <laughs> totally. Well, Lorley, I would love to hear about your book that you've touched on a few times and just to the, everything that we've just been talking about, uh, that it's really within us to shift. It's not about changing the foods that we eat or any of that. It's about us. When did you write your book and what, how did you choose what went into it? What, what it focuses on? What is the focus of your book? Well, the name of the book is It's Not About Food because, you know, I found that we found at Beyond Hunger, we did we did groups for probably about 10 years before we decided to write a book about it. And we put what we were doing in groups, which was learning how to love and accept and take care of the body that you have, that you're not going to get another one. 
learning, relearning how to eat intuitively and then how to take care of yourself emotionally. And we just say that over and over and over a thousand million times. And um, so we put everything in the book that we had been doing in the groups that was working really well, obviously. And um, the book, the first time, so a hardback came out in 2000, a softback came out a few years later. It was revised um, in 2010, somewhere in there. And it might get revised again in the 2020s, you know, to update stuff. But it still is a classic book like Janine Roth's books or Carol Munter, Jane Hersherman books or, um, you know, Eating by the Light of the, um, Anita Johnson, Eating by the Light of the Moon books or any of these books. It's just a very classic, very simple way of looking at this issue. And, um, and it's still out there. I still get cards and letters from people and um, emails and texts. Thank you for doing this. We're so, yeah. you know, it helped me so much. And then over it, we came out, uh, I guess, around 2005 with that for teenage girls. And um, then we did the body love card. So, and all this while, you know, we're doing groups, we're doing stuff. And a few years ago, I closed Beyond Hunger to groups and to therapy just because we had a lot of different really talented therapists who could take this in their own private practices. Mm-hmm. But we kept, for Beyond Hunger, we kept the peer ed program because that's our favorite and that's the thing that we can really do without licensed therapists, without all this big bureaucracy that we didn't want to pay for anymore. So... Uh, in other words, like a big office or anything like that. So I still do that. I still every year have a new crop of peer educators. They teach them how to go into schools. Last year, obviously, we had to go into schools um, via Zoom. And that was a whole learning curve for me, not for them, but for me. (laughs) And so hopefully this year we get to go back into schools. But I tell you what's happened in the year and a half that we had to um, going, you know, Zooms and not going to schools with the pandemic is we lost a lot of our funders. We didn't have our fundraiser that we normally do. And so I'm really having to think about if we're going to, con- if the program is going to continue, we need some, some new funding. And I haven't really had to think about that in a while, but the schools have less money than they ever have had. <laughs> So they cannot afford to pay anything for it. And it's, you know, so if it's a nonprofit, which we are, you have to get money from somewhere because like there's, you know, you have, I mean, you have to have money to run anything. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so that's happening and that's a little bit of a weird thing. And I feel like Beyond Hunger went on a diet, (laughs) on a money diet. Get off that diet. We're not supposed to to be dieting. No. And the reality is there's so much money everywhere. You know, know. there's a lot of money all over the place. There is. Well, I'm just so thankful, Laura Lee, that you are doing this program. What a phenomenal thing. What an incredible experience for these these kids to be able to have. And thank you for writing those books. It's a lot to write a book. I'm trying to write a book. It's hard. (laughs) You're awesome. 
in everything that you now, do. It is a really hard thing to write a book. It is really hard. It's, I think it's Anne Lamont says that you sit down and you open up your veins. <laughs> That's what it feels like. I have to say I was really graced and blessed with a wonderful business partner, Carol Normandy, who whenever she wanted to quit, I was like, no, we got to keep going. And when I wanted to quit, she was like, we got this. That's a great chapter you just wrote. It's going to be fine. So we, I don't know how anybody writes a book all by themselves. Well, I did write a book by myself, but um, that was a, you know, this kind of book will just push every, every button you have. Yeah. So, but you did it. But then the magical thing about any sort of creative pursuit or creation is once you have it made, it's there, it's out in the ether and it's ready, ready to go. I mean, now that book can be read by millions of people in the world and it's done and it's there and it's forever. So that's the motivation where as hard as it is, once you, you got it out there, it's created and it's accessible to people. And how incredible is that to have your message to be accessible? Well, it's so true. And I completely support you in doing it. Get people around you that are going to, you know, cheerlead you on and get a little group around you that you guys read to each other or whatever it is, because it takes a village to write these things, to do these things. It's not, you know, I don't know. I'm not really the type of person that just sits, you know, in my little head and writes a thing. I have to have people to interact with. Yeah, absolutely. Well, somehow you did it. You made it happen beautifully. And everyone is so grateful for the work that you do, Laura Lee, and for what you and created and what you do every day. You've got your books. It's not about food and over it. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the Beyond Hunger Peer Ed program, which is just phenomenal. And your podcast, It's Not About Food, which I always tell my clients to listen to and they love it. It's such oh, a great that's person. so good. You know, these young girls, they want nothing more than just to open their ears and hear other people's stories that understand and that get it and that can offer some insight or any sort of suggestion. And that's what your podcast does. So thank you for thank everything. You. And for others who want to find you, how can they find you, Laura Lee? They can go on uh, my name, which is Laura Lee Rourke, L-A-U-R-E-L-E-E-R-O-A-R-K.com. You can also go, it's not about food.com. And you can always get me always, 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 forever and ever beyondhunger.org because we're nonprofit. So it's .org. Perfect. All right, Laura Lee. Well, I've absolutely loved talking with you. And me too. So good. I look forward to having you back on in the future. And I can't wait to hear this. <laughs> Thank care. you. Bye. Bye. That wraps up our beautiful conversation with our wonderful guest. Thank you so much for listening to the Women Waken podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do share it with others and come back for more. If anything you heard resonates, leave a review or send me an email at whitney at womenwaken.com and check out the website, womenwaken.com. Have a wonderful rest of your day and don't forget to let your light shine and keep an eye out for your special gifts and magic.